Well, hey there, and welcome to the New Freedom Podcast. I am Dakota, your host, and I thank you for joining in with us today. If you'd like to learn more about New Freedom Church and our continual mission to give grace and share hope, you can find us at newfc.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and follow us there as well. Today, Pastor Joe will be starting a new series called Ripple Effect. He'll be talking about how the way we think, speak, and act are significant, and how those things can mean a world of difference to our own lives and those around us in either a positive or negative way. If we learn to think, speak, and act in ways that give life and encourage, it can cause a ripple effect that can lead to catastrophic change. Let us join in now with Pastor Joe. Today we begin a new series called Ripple Effect. And I want to submit to you that you are that leader. What that video is talking about is the drop of your life is causing ripples throughout all of your relationships, throughout all of your settings, every environment you find yourself in, your life is making a ripple. You may say, well, you know, Joe, I really don't lead anybody. I don't influence anybody. I'm just, you know, at home or uh, I'm not a leader at my work. I would say you are a leader even if you only are leading yourself. You are certainly a leader. And when we talk about the ripple, it is the effect of dropping that pebble or dropping that drop into the water that creates the ripple. The ripple is the effect, but there is always a cause, cause and effect. And the further you get away from the cause, the more that the effect or the ripple begins to dissipate. But if you and I cannot identify what causes things to happen in our lives, then we are bound to live by the effects that everyone else is rippling in our life. Those who never take up a cause of their own will inevitably live by the ripple of others. And so how do we define this cause? How do we find a purpose? How do we engage with God to do something that is meaningful and significant in our lives? How do we get on target for God? It's no fun to sit on the sidelines and watch everybody else rippling life and having influence and impact when God has given to us the same authority, the same dominion, and the same power that we too can have an impact on others. I don't know any Christ follower who doesn't want to have a positive impact on other people. In the ancient world, there is a very well-known story uh, with a question that is central to the story. And I think that the question gets lost most times because of the oversold uh, celebrity of the persons involved and the event that happened. But there's this question in ancient writings that's actually, you can find it in the book of 1 Samuel, and the question is this, is there not a cause? Say it with me. Is there not a cause? What caused this to happen? In other words, someone stood on a hillside, they looked over to the other side of the valley, and they saw the effect of something that was threatening their nation, and they said, is there not a cause? 
Understanding the cause will help you to identify and be able to define how to deal with the effect. This story is told in the ancient plains of Israel when a 15-year-old shepherd boy decided that he would take lunch to his brothers who were in the army. His dad sent him to send to give supplies to his brothers. You and I know him as the psalmist David. David comes up on this scene and he sees that there is a giant on the other side of the valley that is mocking and ridiculing his brothers, the armies of God, and the nation of Israel. And this little 15-year-old boy had the tenacity to ask this very resounding question, is there not a cause? In other words, what is a greater purpose for why these armies are allied here? Is there not something that we can do about the effect that this guy is having, making all of this army be fearful, and they won't even engage in battle? Is there not a cause? We know as the story progresses that it was David who took five smooth stones, and with just one stone, he put it in his sling, and when he spun it around, he threw it at that giant, and the mighty giant fell. You want to talk about a ripple effect. That had a ripple effect on the entire known world at the time, the entire nation, and it catapulted this 15-year-old to national celebrity. He was then later anointed the king of Israel, but it took him 15 more years serving in the backside of a desert before he ever ascended to his purpose, before he ever walked out the further cause or plan that God had on his life. You may have to encounter a ripple for a very long time before finally that target is hit and you identify the cause. I pray not, but it may be a very long time that you're dealing with a cause and writing the ripple before you can start making your own ripples. Craig Rochelle says it like this, it's often the small things that no one sees that result in the big things that everybody wants. Everybody wanted the fame of David. Everybody wanted the fortune that came with killing that giant. But nobody was willing to take a little small stone and sling it at a very large giant. This is the cause and effect of the ripples of our lives. I want to ask you this question, and you can just let it resonate in your own heart. Are you happy with the ripples that your life is leaving? Think about it. Are you happy with the ripples that your life is leaving today? Maybe you are. Maybe there are some things that you say, I'm hitting the top box of it. I'm, I'm doing exactly what God has called me to do. And then there's other areas of our lives, if we're really all very honest about this, that we'll say, you know, there are some things that I'm just falling short in. There are some areas that I would like to have some improvement in. There are some ripples that I would like to be more effective in my life and in others. In this series, we're going to talk about the way that we think, we speak, and we act, because every one of those foundational areas are leaving ripples in our lives, and others are feeling these ripples. In Zechariah 4, I just want to read you four verses. This is out of the New Living Translation. I want to read these to you. This is a story of God starting with something very small. And I want to read this story because uh, I want to read these verses. There's a, a guy that's mentioned here, and you just got to love his name. His name is Zerubbabel. I know it kind of sounds like you're talking with cherries in your mouth. You can say it with me, Zerubbabel. 
That's kind of fun to say. Now, they, I don't know if anybody looking for baby names is going to come to the seed section and they say, let's name him Zerubbabel. But that's what this guy's name was, and he was a pretty important character. Uh, look at verse 6. It says, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord, the, heavens, the, the Lord of heaven's armies. So it's not by strength. It's not by force. Look at, look at this right here. I wanted you to see that God is telling Zerubbabel that this is not the way that you are going to win the battle by how strong you are, by how many armies that you have, by how much influence that you have created, that God is going to do this thing. This is going to be by the empowerment of God. Let's read further. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone in the temple place, the people will shout, May God bless it. May God bless it. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple, and he will complete it. Look at verse 10. Do not despise the small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Everybody say begin. Many of us are very good at starting something, but we lack the determination to finish. Others of us come alongside where something has been started and say, no, 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 this is all wrong. Why did it ever get started this way? Let's change it and let's finish it to this direction. Those are the people that get the job done. You know, it takes both kinds in the kingdom of God. It takes both kinds in a local church for people that are good starters, people who are middle people that will come and supply the support, and good finishers. But today, I want to speak to those who just need to get in their heart this one word, and that is begin. God wants you to start. God wants you to begin. Background to this text is that there were a long period of time that Jerusalem's walls were broken down, and... Uh, the prophet Zechariah had been prophesying about a time when God would want to start a rebuilding program in this land so that there could be worship restored to the people. Zerubbabel had led the people there, but for 18 years, they never began. Think about it. They had clear focus. They had clear direction. They knew exactly what they were supposed to do. They got back to their land of promise, and for 18 years, they sat down and they talked about it. They never began doing what God called them to do. Somebody needs to know it's enough talk. Now it's time for action. You can get started today on a new ripple of your life. You can start thinking differently, talking differently, and acting differently in a way in which God will be honored and things will get done. And this is what God said to Zerubbabel. You're going to do this, but it's not going to be by force. And it's not going to be by strength. Well, he would have said, God, that's kind of counterintuitive. I mean, we have to build a wall here. We have to rebuild an entire city structure and all the infrastructure that goes with it. And you're telling me it's not going to be by force or power. There has to be a lot of manpower. There has to be a lot of strength that goes into this. But God gave him a clear instruction. You can't do this on your own. Zerubbabel would have loved to have picked up the the plow himself and take the trowel and, and start everything. But God is saying, you can't do this on your own. It's not by your power. In other words, this temple is not going to get rebuilt in such a way that you get the credit for it. Think about it. God wants to create ripples in your life. 
But he doesn't want you to be able to break your arm, patting yourself on the back about how good you were that made all these ripples. Because I'll tell you this, the people who have made the largest ripples in my life are the people who would never even know or acknowledge that they were making the ripple. And you are making ripples in somebody's life. There is an effect that you are having by the way that you live your life, to the good or to the bad. And if it's to the bad, they may never tell you that either, to your face. But you may find out about it. And God is saying, this is going to get done, but you're not going to get the credit for it. Here's the thing. You can try to change on your own power. You can try to will yourself to change how you think or change how you act or change how you, you talk by your strength, by your tenacity, by your iron will, you can try to do it. And let me share, you can make some incremental improvements on doing that. We have entered into a season of time, and we've been in it for probably three decades now in, in the American landscape and culture. It's a, a, a term that theology uses as moralistic deism or I like to call it sin management. That's what we, we, we try to suppress our feelings. We try to identify the causes through self-help and through learning and education. And we think, oh, if I can just apply this next principle, if I can just get on the internet and find out the, 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 the blog post of how everybody else has done it, then I can make these changes and then I can do this and I can call Dr. Phil and I can go buy that book. But you know the, the central point to everything I just said? I, 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 I. And sin management or moralistic deism basically has a list of do's and don'ts, and it causes us to think that, okay, if we do this, then we're good in God's eyes, and if we do that, then we're bad in God's eyes. And so we work from this area of acceptance, trying to be accepted by what we do. And it's not about a list of do's and don'ts. The gospel is not come to Jesus for a happy and perfect life. The gospel is come to Jesus and get Jesus, and he gives you the joy for every season of life. Jesus is enough for every season that you walk through. That's the gospel. And if you were like me, then, then you were probably exposed to some type of of evangelistic outreach as a small child or maybe as a preteen. I remember being in church camp. I loved to go to church camp. I believe in church camps. We send our kids to church camps. They are wonderful. But if you're like me, you know, I stood there at eight years old and I heard that, that message and, you know, the, the preacher is really waxing eloquent and he's sweating and he's so con convincing. And it came down to the moment where he said, if you don't want to go to hell, then you need to accept Jesus and you can go to heaven. And I thought, well, I certainly don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. So I stepped forward. And I said, yes, but my life had not really changed because I hadn't really had the implanted seed of the gospel that was transformational. And so I made that decision and I started trying on my own to be a good boy. And for a while I could be a good boy and I could make these changes and I could have the effect. But then I started to fail and I started to falter. The ripples started getting larger and larger in my sin and the things which I was not doing right. And I got so discouraged, I felt like I failed God. I couldn't keep up with, listen, my end of the bargain. And I have reflected on that and I've thought about that. 
What would have been the difference if at that young age there would have been an approach of saying, it's not by your might, it's not by your power, it's not by the things that you can do to make the change, but it's about surrendering to the Spirit of God and allowing Him to make the change. Listen, it's like this. When you come to Jesus, He gives you a new heart, and God causes a different effect. It's a ripple of grace in your life. How are we saved? Through faith by grace. We're saved by the grace of God. And then, when I fall short, when I slip up, when I flat out blow it, which I do from time to time. I don't know about you, but there have been many trips back down to the altar that Joe Schutz has had to make since he was 15 years old and gave his heart to Jesus. There's been many times where I have fallen down and I've had to get back up. You know the difference between a saint and a sinner? A saint is a sinner that fell down but got back up. That's the only difference. It got back up. There is a new heart, that ha- a change in heart. And so what happens is that when I blow it, when I fall down, when I can't measure up to my end of the bargain, whatever that happens to be, I'm quick to repent. Now, repentance is not a word that you like to, to talk about a lot in this society. It offends people. Nobody wants to talk about things like this. But let me share with you. It is the goodness of God. I say it with a smile. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Because repentance is turning from the direction we're walking and turning unto God. It is, it is a change in our direction. Listen, Watchman Nee said it like this. He said that the blood of Jesus takes care of our sin debt. The blood takes care of our sin. That is what we call conversion. What can wash away my sin? Say it with me. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So the blood of Jesus takes care of our sin. It is the cross of Jesus that takes care of our flesh. Now there's a difference. The flesh, let me demonstrate. Everybody do this with me. Just put your hands together. Okay. That demonstrates you and I are still in a flesh suit. We're in this flesh. But we are not to walk according to this flesh. How are we to walk? After the Spirit. So at, at the cross, at Jesus' death on the cross, His blood was spilt and poured out for our sin. Only one drop of His blood was all it would take to forever remit our sin debt. But I'm still in this flesh. And so it is the cross that takes care of our flesh. Now, how often did the Apostle Paul say that he had to take up his cross and die? Daily. <laughs> yeah, see, here's the thing. At eight years old, I was, I was intent. I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. And so I said yes to Jesus. But it was five, six, seven years later, I started realizing this isn't good enough. Something has to happen because my flesh is continuing to drag me back to a place I don't want to be. And I can't make these changes on my own. So the transformation of our walk with Christ happens through us dying daily, taking up our cross, and following Him. It's like having the right tool for the right task. Some of you, you've tried for years to change something, to improve something, and you realize, I just can't do it. Well, you may have been using the wrong tool. You may be sending the wrong stone into the pond, and the ripple is not being created in the right way. Now, here's the thing. We don't want to do away with all ripples. We want to have the right 
ripples. So God says it like this. He says, I'm going to give you power to rebuild this temple. Verse 7, and when Zerubbabel sets the final stone in the temple place, may the people shout, may God bless it, may God bless it. I love this part of the story because it shows us that before the construction ever began, God already sees the end. I love this because before you ever set out to try and do anything for God, to try and create the right ripples, God already knows the end from the beginning. That's why he's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He is sovereign. And so because he knows this, he knows that you can do what he's called you to do. He knew that Zerubbabel had all the right things. Before you ever attempt to do what God has put in your heart, God knows the result as you surrender your life to him. Look at verse 8. It says, Then another message came from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of the temple, and he will complete it. The beginning of this building project that he was overseeing, it was awkward because it was slow. It was not going as the route that they thought that that they had seen in the past. In fact, they were comparing this new temple to the old temple, and the people even cried about it because they said, it's never going to look as good as it did before the armies destroyed it. It was awkwardly slow, and it was not measuring up to what they had in mind that it was going to be before. And, and you and I get into the same kind of, of, of little um, altercation within ourselves. We go to the gym... We work out, now not, not this month, but normally like in January after New Year's resolutions, like we go to the gym, we work out for a whole month, February 1st hits and we're like, I've lost one pound. I mean, we get so discouraged because the progress is so slow, but what we fail to realize is it took us five, six years to put on those extra seven, eight, 10, 30 pounds. I don't know how many. It took us a long time to get to that place, and the progress is so painfully slow that we get discouraged. And God is only asking us today to begin. That first ring of a ripple, it's not very big, is it? But as you watch it, it grows, grows, grows. And before long, just one tiny pebble thrown into a pond will cause a ripple to hit the bank on the opposite side. Every time. Go practice every single time. That ripple will eventually hit the other side. I was thinking about when we started New Freedom Church, we started in a, in a cemetery in Waynesville. I like to tell people that at our launch service, we had multiple thousands of people present, but most of them were dead. <laughs> I normally tell that one last. I mean, they get real impressed at pastors' meetings. You say, yeah, our launch service, we had like thousands present. The progress of the church growing over 12 years many times has been painfully slower than what I would have imagined when I was in Bible college 20-some years ago. Like, I, I, I thought, here's how it'll be. It'll be this way. This will happen. Then that'll happen. Then that'll happen. And very seldom have things ever fallen like dominoes in that order. And there have been times in 12 years where we've had something running and operating really good, and then we realize, oh, wait a minute, we don't have the right staffing for it, or we don't have the right opportunity, or it doesn't have the right funding, and so we've had to pull the plug on things, and we've had to start over again. Some things we have to eliminate. 
There are times, listen, you need to hear this, there are times in your life and there are times in the life cycle of a church where you have to say no to good things so that you can say yes to God things. If you say yes to everything, you're going to spread yourself so thin that you will never have the ripple or you'll never have the influence you could possibly have if you would more focus your attention on the things God has called you to do. We can't do everything. We can't be everything to everyone. And someone needs to get set free in their family today to realize you are nobody's savior. You cannot always bail them out. Here, 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 okay, this will set you free. Here's what you need to say. That family member or that friend, that person that keeps coming to you every time that it's a 911 three alarm fire, you need to tell them this in love, okay? You speak the truth in love, okay? And I'll tell you what you can say. You say, the pastor told me to say it. Poor planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. And just smile real big, okay? That's just a real nice way of saying no. I'm not going to do it this time. No, I'm not going to bail you out this time. No, you need to walk through this valley this time. I'm going to hold your hand. I'm going to be there with you. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to throw you out. I'll be right here, but I'm not bailing you this time. I'm saying no to some good things so that I can say yes to the God things. Verse 10 says this, despise not small beginnings. Don't look down on those little starts. You went to the gym today. So what that you only walked five minutes on the treadmill? Before long, you can walk five miles. Start where you are. Zerubbabel, if he had gone in there thinking that overnight he's just going to build up this wall, it would have never happened. But he took one stone, and he put it on another stone, and he put it on another stone, and he started where he was. And most of us will not be the heirs of some big inheritance, and we're going to have to start where we are. Amen. I'm tempted to go down a a little rabbit trail right here about money. Let me just just be real honest with you, okay? So a couple weeks ago, many of you wouldn't know because you're good church folks, you wouldn't know this, but there was a, a mega lottery in our country. Yeah, you didn't know, yeah, I didn't think you knew anything about it. Um, it reached like $1.5 billion. And I think the tickets were, did anybody know how much the tickets were? Well, that was fast, $2. Tickets were $2. So I start thinking about all that I would do with this money. I mean, really, I started thinking about it. It, it was kind of a, and I thought to myself, hey, $2 to dream a little dream? I don't play the lottery, but you know what? I've heard it said, you can't win if you don't play, all right? You've heard it said. Now, I normally don't play the lottery because I also know that lottery is an extra tax on people who are really poor at math. And I'm not really good at math, but I know that one opportunity out of 300 million, the odds aren't really good. I just, I can figure that out. Yet there was something in me that thought, you know what? If I won, what, what good could I do? All the things I could do, I could help over here, I could help over there. And God, you know I'm a tither. You know I would tithe on that. I really would. I, I'm honest, I would, Lord. You know I would. I went into the, 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 this, this little uh, grocery store. It was a, a little convenience store. And I told Holly, I said, I'm buying a lottery ticket. She said, you are not. I said, I'm buying a lottery ticket. I went in there, and so it was just, 
me and the clerk, and there's another guy, and I certainly didn't want anybody seeing the pastor buying a lottery ticket, so I waited till that guy left. I went back, and I got me an iced tea, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, uh, anybody win that lottery last night? And the girl said, no, nobody won it. It's, it's going on again tonight. I said, how much is that getting up to? She said, like $1.5 billion. I'm like, how much are those tickets? I'm getting in my pocket. She said, I don't know. We don't sell them here. <laughs> like, what? What? You don't sell I had the confidence. I had my boldness build up. I mean, I had already looked and nobody, at the, nobody with a New Freedom sticker on their car was in the parking lot. I knew I was in the safe zone. And then I got to thinking, man, what if I actually won? I mean, what would I tell the church? I'd probably say, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm going to pay the place off first, but I'm out of here. And then I got to thinking, Jesus said, See, you knew I was going to bring it back to Jesus, right? I mean, come on. Jesus said it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. I know the commentators have little places where they say, you know, what was Jesus really talking about? Well, there was a little wall and there was a in the city of Jerusalem, you've heard this, there's a little wall and it had a little crevice and guys would have to put their camels through it. That's not what Jesus was saying at all. Jesus was saying, it's harder to put a camel through the eye of a needle. You know what the eye of a needle is? It's really tiny, it's really small. This is hyperbole on Jesus' part. You know Jesus had a good sense of humor? You know you can laugh and be a Christian too? You can have a good time? And this is what Jesus, he gave a such ridiculous illustration to try to prove to them that reliance on any other idol, money can be a really big idol. Money is not bad. Money is not evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil, not money. So Jesus said it's more difficult for a rich man to get into heaven than for you to put a camel through eye of a needle. What he's saying is it's impossible to rely on any other thing. And yet I thought, but Lord, I would do so much good with these lottery winnings. And then out of nowhere, I see an article, because it was a real popular thing a couple weeks ago. I see this article about a man in West Virginia 10 years ago who was a very average run-of-the-mill person who won at that time, the largest lottery winnings ever in recorded U.S. history, it was $113 million that he won after taxes. He pledged that he was going to do all these great things, even set up a charitable trust, and he did give some money to some, some great things, and he even paid for the church that his wife attended. He didn't go often, but he paid for the, the church his wife attended to have a new building. Within two years of winning that money, he was divorced from his wife, his marriage broke up, 40-plus year marriage broke up, his 17-year-old granddaughter had gotten strung out on drugs, ended up dead in the back alley of some bar, and his wife reportedly said, if I had known today what all that money would have done to us, I would have torn up the ticket, would have never wanted it. We think that if we just had bigger, better, more, 
If we could just be stronger, if we could just resist more, if we could just please God more. And here all along, God is saying, I never wanted you to do it on your own. I never wanted you to do it by your strength. I never wanted you to do it by your might. Because it's not about that. It's about surrendering to me. It's about taking one stone, not a get-rich-quick, and putting it on another stone. It's about taking this and putting it here. And I'll tell you this. I didn't end up buying the ticket. If you did, I, no condemnation. That's fine. I don't care. Listen, there's a whole lot better way that you can honor your legacy, and that is that you can begin investing in the things that have eternal value. You can invest financially into your local church, into causes that you believe in. And someone says, yeah, but 10%, that's a lot of my money. God's just asking you to begin. Just start. Just start somewhere. Maybe instead of buying a couple, few of those $2 thing tickets every week thinking that you're going to win, why don't you just start investing that same $5, $10 every single week into the ministries of God, into the kingdom of God, saying, God, I'm going to do this. Because here's what I found out, that he says that his word will never return void. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt you cannot outgive God. And that the rewards, though you're not going to get rich quick, God is not a genie. You're not going to rub some bottle and tell God what you want. If you begin to be faithful in your finances to God, all of a sudden, your shoes start lasting longer. The brakes on your car don't need to be repaired as much. Sorry, Dave. The, <laughs> the, the facilities of your home, things start working out better for you. You got Bible on it. For 40 years, God's people were faithful to him in the wilderness with their provision, and it says their shoes never wore out. Their clothes never wore out. They always had enough to eat. God will do it. Let me just share this testimony with you. Maybe uh, Noah will get to share it with you a little bit more. But back in the, in the summertime, we had uh, gotten a phone call in the church office, and this family from our community who doesn't even go here, they wanted to donate to us their used minivan, seven-passenger minivan. And uh, I, I kind of just let the phone call go at first, and then they kept calling back. And finally, I called them back because I didn't recognize their name. And I said, what is it that you want to do? And they said, we want to donate our van. It's got a lot of miles on it, but it's in really good shape. And we want to give it to New Freedom Church because my hairdresser has been telling me all the great things you're doing about your community. And a year and a half ago, get this, a year and a half ago, we came into your church, and from the moment we walked in the door, we felt the Spirit of God there, and it just warmed our heart. And the first people we thought of was, let's give this van to New Freedom Church. You know, I couldn't say no at that point. I'm like, yes. And I called David Crozen. and I'm like, hey, is this van going to hurt us if, if we take it in? And we're going to spend a whole bunch of money repairing it. And he's like, no, just go ahead and take it. So we took the donation. They, they were glad for it. We gave them a thank you letter, all of that. Two months later, we weren't really using the van. Pastor Dennis came up to me and he said, hey, there's a family that I know that really is in need of transportation. They have a special needs child that needs to get down to Cincinnati a couple times a week. They don't really have the transportation. What are we doing with that van? So we talked to some of the church leaders and we decided, let's just give them the van. Let's just give it to them. Just, just sign it over to them. That was on a Monday and we felt so good about being able to just sign over that van to a family that really was in need. All the while, Noah, our student minister, had been desiring that he wanted a way to transport the teenagers around town, small events, different things, and he had been pitching me the idea for two months about a bus. He wanted a school bus, and I'm thinking, yeah, right, where are we going to get a school bus? Yeah, okay. So we gave that van away on Monday. By Wednesday, Noah's making phone calls, and he calls a church in our area, and he starts asking about liability and all this kind of stuff because they have a church van and a church bus. 
And they said, are you guys looking for a church bus over at New Freedom? And Noah said, yeah, we'd love to have one for our youth, and we'd love to pick people up and all that kind of thing. They said, well, we have one. Let me call you right back. Two hours later, the youth pastor of that church calls Noah and says, I talked to our lead pastor, and he says, if you guys can use that bus, we're just going to donate it to you. You can just have it. It's yours. We'll just give it to you. And it's sitting right back out there today. Now, it's not the most beautiful thing, but let me tell you, free is better than cheap any day. And it's ours, free and clear, it's ours. You can't outgive God. That was a day of celebration. We were high-fiving, and we, we, we'll show you a video about it, but we plan to utilize it for the glory of God. Now, we couldn't have constructed that or made that happen in our own. That was clearly God's doing, Him putting it before us. It's the little things that no one sees but everybody wants that make the big difference in life. I'll close here in just a moment. I read a story about a very famous coach. You might know him by name, John Wooten. He's considered to be one of the greatest of all time. In seven consecutive titles, 10 total titles for NCAA basketball from 67 to 73, John Wooten was the undisputed leader of all coaching in college basketball. Yet, when John Wooten would bring in a new class of recruits, he did something very unusual. He would bring them in. He would set all of his players down on the bench. He would run no drills. He'd have no calisthenics. He didn't have them run sprints. He didn't make them practice free throws. You know what he did? This is amazing. Greatest coach. He sat them down. He grabbed a pair of socks and a pair of shoes. He told them, this is how you put on your socks. This is how you lace up your shoes. And they're thinking, duh, been doing that all my life. But John Wooten said that what he found was that the biggest hindrances to the game were the small things that were neglected that others took for granted. Not doing the small things. That if a player didn't put on his socks and shoes right, he would get blisters. And it doesn't matter if he is an all-star athlete, he will not be able to take the court and be effective with blisters on his feet from putting his socks on wrong. And here's what John Wooten said, it's the little things that are vital. It's the little things that are vital. So here's what we're going to do in the upcoming weeks. We're going to focus on three areas, our thoughts our words, and our habits. I want them to put this slide up there for you because I, I want us to look at this. It says, our thoughts are important because our thoughts become our words. Think about it. Our thoughts are important because they become our words. What did Jesus say? Out of the abundance of the heart does the mouth speak. You ever been around that person where they say a little snide comment, or maybe it was a, a backhanded little jab, and then they say this, oh, I was just kidding. No, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. No, you were just being serious. Be careful what you think, because it gets down in your heart, and eventually it will betray you from your mouth. Our words, get this, become our actions. Our actions become our habits, and our habits create our destiny. That's powerful. Whatever you begin thinking about will get down in your heart. It'll come out your mouth, and not too far after that, your feet will follow. 
You don't always just go to the place your heart is immediately, but eventually your feet will follow. And so I want to challenge the causes so that we can create the correct ripple effect in our life. And I'm going to break it down by giving one very specific thing, one very direct, very focused assignment each and every week. Well, maybe two this week. The first very direct assignment you need this week is you need to get out and vote. I just thought I'd parenthetically insert that. You need to vote. A lot hangs in the balance of you and I bringing our Christian values to a ballot box to say, these are the people that I want to support me, to uh, speak for me. This is the direction I want my country to go. And so you need to vote. So that's, that's, that's one. That's a one-off. But here's the other one, okay? The one thing today that I want you to think about is not one that I'm going to assign to you, but the one thing, very simple, very direct, and very achievable is one word that I want you to think about for the next week. One word that you want to challenge yourself to focus on for the next week. Some of you, the word may be simply admit. You have to admit that where you find yourself today, you find yourself in a mess and you can't fix it. Only God can come in and fix it. You have to admit that first. That is a big, big step. If you can focus on that this week, that's important. Some of us, we need to just believe what God has said. We need to take him at his word. We need to believe what he has told us, and we need to do what he has asked us to do. Others, we, just, we need to come before God and confess. You know, the Bible says confession is good for the soul. You, you actually benefit from confessing, from finding someone you can confide in. And that's why you've heard me say it before, that you can lead anybody you know to Jesus with ABC. Admit, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Believe, whoever will believe on Jesus will be saved, them and their household confess with the heart. One believes unto righteousness with the mouth. Confession is made to salvation. ABC. Admit, believe, confess. But maybe there are some other things that you need to focus on this week. Somebody needs to focus on the word begin, like was in the scripture. You just need to get started this week. What cause are you going to take up? What effect do you want to have? You need to get started. You need to begin. One stone one trip to the gym, one apology issued to rectify a bad situation. One thing, just begin, get started today. Do it this week. Jesus encountered a young man that the Bible says was a rich young ruler. And it's fascinating that this guy had everything from the outside together. It looked like he had it all together. In fact, Jesus commended him by acknowledging all the good deeds which he wanted to purport. He said, I've served God from my youth. I know all of the law. I've walked righteously, humbly. I've respected my parents. Jesus gave him all of that. And yet Jesus looked at this rich young ruler and he said, but one thing you still lack. There's one thing that's not right now. I don't know about you, but for me, if I hear Jesus say, Joe, there's just one thing you lack, I'm like, hey, I got nine out of 10. That's a passing grade. That's a pretty good grade. 
But this guy didn't have that kind of feeling. Jesus said, there's one thing that you lack. You need to go and sell all you have and give it away. Why? Not because there's anything wrong with having stuff. Jesus doesn't tell this to every person. But he told it to this guy because this guy had made physical and material possessions his God. And he said, you need to rid yourself of the idols. And we all have idols. We think of idols as a little Buddha statue that sits up on a mantle and say, well, I have no idols. No, we all have idols. We are idolatrous people by nature. We'll put things up in front of God, and it is only by the Spirit of God that those things are revealed to us that they get strongholds pulled down. And today, if you begin to rely on Him, if you'll surrender your life to the one who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, then that little effect that you had will become a bigger and bigger ripple on others. And it is by the grace of God that he does not allow us to always see the impact that we are having. Why? Because if we did, we'd probably mess it up. Don't worry about the impact. Worry about the one thing. Well, I thank you for listening in today, and we certainly hope that this message encouraged you and impacted you in some way. If it did, I want to encourage you to get involved with NFC. There are a few ways you can do so. First, you can subscribe to our podcast. We upload a new message every week, and when you subscribe, our content will show up automatically in your feed every week. Secondly, you can help us continue to spread the message of Jesus across the world by giving. You can do so at newfc.org giving. We want to continue to make an impact for Jesus every day in any way that we can. And your support is vital to our mission. And we thank you for that. Third, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at newfc.church and go check out our YouTube channel. Stay up to date with us and get daily encouragement, all from all of our online platforms. Well, that's all for today, and we will see you next week right here on the New Freedom Podcast.